As we see in our gospel lesson, God uses our good deeds, the deeds that he works in us and through us in our lives to draw other people to himself. You see, Martin Luther reminds us time and time again, God doesn't need your good deeds. You're saved by grace through faith. But your neighbors do. Your neighbors need to know the love of God. You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast for Bethany Lutheran Church in Long Beach, California. And as you see at the cover of your bulletin, we're in a series called Gospel DNA. And uh, we've been in the series for about three weeks, and, and this week is the, the fourth week of the series, and it's on adaptability. And i got to tell you, God is testing us. I mean, if you didn't notice, our acolyte walked in with a lighter. <laughs> your preacher's preaching in tennis shoes. I mean, you know, we've had some sound issues this morning. It's like, all right, Lord, what are you trying to tell us here? And I don't know how you handle all of this, but I remember there was one time in my life, I was was like 22, 23, it was my first job out of college. And I was on my own, and and I was living in Livermore, California, and and I was dating my wife, Kendall. Well, she was my girlfriend at that point, but now she's my wife, right? So I remember being at her house and sitting on her couch, and I just remember weeping. And I don't really remember what the cause that triggered the weeping of that day was, but I just remember weeping. And I remember when Kendall was like, what's what's going on? Are you okay? And I just remember being like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't like adulting. I just want to go back to school. I had known what it was to go to school. I had spent my entire life in school. I, I knew what the expectations were. I knew what the schedule was. I, was. I felt like I was in control. And now as an adult, I had to pay bills and, and go to work. And it had expectations to meet. And it was hard. It was a huge change in my life. Now, I know that the only thing in life that is consistent is change, right? Uh, But change might be one of those words that really just strike fear in your soul and in your heart. I don't think anybody really wants to change. In fact, many of us might be very uncomfortable with change. And the whole idea of adapting to change is just one that's that's very difficult to do, but, but yet we have to realize that change is a coming. And we have to adapt when it does. Now our text this morning in the Old Testament from Isaiah chapter 43 is is one in which the the children of Israel had gone through a great change. You see, they they had like forgotten who they were, and and so God allowed them to be captured by the Babylonians and and literally taken to Babylonia, some of them, to to have to live among those Babylonians. And and it was kind of hard for them. And, And Isaiah, up to this point in the book, really was kind of like, you guys, you're, you, you did this to yourselves. You, you done got it wrong, right? You, you, and, and, but all of a sudden, it's in chapter 40 that that message starts changing a little bit. And, and here in chapter 43, we, we have God saying to his people, he says to them, hey, here's the deal. Here's who I am. I am the God 
who makes a path through the sea and a road through the strong current. You see, God is pointing them back to to the one time that they were in slavery with the Egyptians and he literally pulled them out of Egypt. And when they got to the Red Sea and they couldn't get past it and they were looking back and thinking, did you just bring us out here to die? God actually made a path through the sea, right? I mean, Moses raised his arm, the sea split in two, and they walked through. And then we know if you've been around church for any amount of time, you, you know what happens next, right? The Egyptian army follows it in, and, and the sea closes up, and the Egyptian army is snuffed out like a wick. And up to this point, all of Israel's history and identity was based on this mighty act of redemption performed by their God. In fact, in, in the Ten Commandments, we always say there is no God, you know, you shall have no other God before me as is, is the first one, but in, in a lot of Jewish cultures, they say it's the ten words, and the first word is either, uh, is, is even, I the Lord your God who called you out of Egypt, therefore you shall have no other gods before me, Right? This is who Israel were. They were God's redeemed people. That's what makes the next words in our text this morning just kind of a little bit alarming or unbelievable because God goes on to say, well, okay, now forget what happened in the past and do not dwell on events from long ago. Wait a minute. Israel got into this whole mess because they kind of forgot their past. They forgot who they were and whose they were, right? And they started worshiping false gods of the land. But, but, but now God is saying, the, the God who constantly says, remember, 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 he's saying, forget. Just, just forget about the past. Why? Well, he wants them to focus on the future. He says, forget what happened in the past as a a way of calling Israel to to put hope in the future things that God would do. I mean, they might have started thinking up to this point, like, God's not going to save me. God doesn't care who I am. But yet, God is coming to them now and saying, I am still the God who saved you and called you out of Egypt, and I am the God who will save you and call you out of exile." God was giving them hope in the middle of their conflict. Hope for another exodus. And we know that that's what God did. He he brought another exodus, but but in reverse, right? The, The God who made his way through the sea was a God who cleared the way in the desert. The God who dried up the Red Sea made rivers on dry land. The God who made and did the impossible when he led Israel out of Egypt did it again when he led him out of exile. And he pointed it to a time when he was going to do it again and he's going to save all people through the Messiah, through the one who was to come. And he didn't do this because Israel deserved it. He didn't do it because they were this great people. No, he did it because that's who he he is. He's a God of grace who forgives the undeserving. In fact, a little bit later in the same chapter, verse 25, God says, I alone am the one who's going to wipe away your rebellious actions for my own sake. I will not remember your sin anymore. 
You see, God redeemed Israel again and again, and it wasn't because of how great they were or that they did good things or that they really followed how they were supposed to be. No, He did it again and again because that's who He is. A God of grace, a God of forgiveness, a God of love. And just like Israel, I hate to tell you, but you're not the best people in the world either. Now, I know some people take you know, offense to that, but guess what? It's true. I'm not as well. But yet God continually redeems us again and again, not because of how good we are, but because of His love for us, because of how good He is. You see, He's purchased and won us with His Son's holy and precious blood that was poured out for us on the cross. He bought us with His innocent suffering and death that we may be His own and live under Him in His kingdom and serve Him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. You are of great value to God because that redemption cost Him dearly. And so you can be certain of the promise that that God has called you by name in the waters of baptism. He put His name upon you. He's washed you clean. He's made you His own. And He says, this is my beloved child. God saved you. Just as God saved Israel. Not because of them, but because of who He is. And afterwards with Israel, He calls them to be His witnesses. In fact, in Isaiah 43, verses 10-12, through preceding our text this morning, God says to the children of Israel, I have chosen you as My servants so that you can know and believe in Me and understand that I am the one who did this. I alone am the Lord and there is no Savior except Me. I've revealed it to you. I have saved you and have announced it to you. There is no foreign God among you. You are my witness that I am God, declares the Lord. And then as Kaylee pointed out in our children's message this morning, our gospel lesson that was read talks about the fact that as redeemed, forgiven children of the King, we are then called out to be salt and this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But what does salt do? What does light do? Do they exist for themselves? Or do they exist to be the benefit of others? As we see in our Gospel lesson, God uses our good deeds, the deeds that He works in us and through us in our lives to draw other people to Himself. You see, Martin Luther reminds us time and time again, God doesn't need your good deeds. You're saved by grace through faith. But your neighbors do. Your neighbors need to know the love of God. And like Israel, we are called to be God's witnesses to the world and the places where we live, learn, labor, and laugh to proclaim His goodness and mercy, to share His forgiveness of sins with all those around us, to bring light to His dark world. So how do we do this? 
Well, to be honest, we've had kind of for centuries like one way to do it, right? We, we've told people, all right, here's what you do. You go out, you invite your friends to church. And when they get to church, then we tell them how much Jesus loves them and, and, and you know, and, and they'll become you know, followers of him, right? So, so the plan is get them to church. Like just bring them on in. Here we go. And so we, we build these great big buildings, right? It's the, if you build it, they will come. We hire the best staff in the world. We put together these awesome programs. And, and if we can help people to find their way to church, then we know that it's working, right? We saw success as, as we joked, nickels and noses, right? How great is the offering and how many people are in the pews? And for a long time, that's just the way it was. I mean, churches were the center of the community. Pews would be filled, buildings would be used, programs were huge. How many of us remember those days? But let's be honest. Look around. Now, this is a high visitor Sunday. If you're first time here, guest or visitor, Please forgive me for saying that. I'm not trying to use insider language. I did, but I'm not trying to, right? A lot of folks here are here because their kids are singing, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? But on, on your regular Sunday where nothing's happening, are the pews this full? No. Are, are, are the heads a little bit grayer? I've got it too, folks, all right? Now, I'm not saying that buildings and programs are bad. They're not at all. It's not an either or. It's actually a, a both and. We know that some people will actually, in our community, come and be a part of, of a church family in this way. Right? We want everyone to be a part of a gospel community, and we know that some enjoy and resonate with this expression of faith, and so they will show up. Right? So I'm not saying we throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm not saying we get rid of all the pews and fire all the staff. God, no, I am not saying we fire the staff. <laughs> pews. <sighs> there is a place for those things, and it's an expression of faith that, that people do resonate with. But at the same time, if the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus is as, as important as, as, as everyone or everything that we say it is, if it is really for everyone and we're called to be salt and light, then the question we should be really wrestling with is how can we have more people come in contact with the, the living and the breathing body of Christ? I mean, can the church limit its presence to buildings and programs? To be honest, the answer really has always been no. But, but as culture is one that was really focused on the church as the center of community, as that has drifted and shifted, we know that there's not as many people that are going to walk through the doors of the church. Just not. Facts, figures, everything else, Right? Now, the church is not dying, the church eternal, right? We know the gates of hell will never overcome it. But, but the institutional expression, they're getting significantly smaller and smaller in a lot of ways. Things have changed. But the good news is God is not. That each one of us are actually missionaries 
to the places where we live, learn, labor, and laugh. We collectively will come in contact with more people this week than we will ever serve here at this church at Bethany. Just think about that one for a second. You see, we have, to, we have to realize and we have to ask the question, not how can we get more people to be here, but we need to ask the question, how can we be present more effectively in the community? You see, the, the point isn't how do we boost our attendance. For a long time, that was the point. That was the marker of success. If you have a large church, then you must be a successful church. But really what the point is, is the point is how present are we in the community and how are we demonstrating and proclaiming the love of Christ in that? You see, if we seek to grow our church, it might grow. But if we seek to grow His kingdom, knowing that it's God who's working in and through us, we will see Him doing some huge things to His glory. The, the metric of our attendance in a church building may or may not grow, but the metric of claiming the community for Christ and reaching out into every corner of our region will bring the gospel wide and far. And the power of the gospel will make a difference. We gather together on Sundays. Yes, this is not an excuse to be like, well, now I don't have to go to church, Kyle. He said, I don't have to be there anymore. No, we gather. We need to be here to, to hear and praise God for what he is doing in and through our lives, to receive his word and his sacraments so that we're strengthened to go out. But we also have to realize that, that when you leave those doors, you are missionaries led by Jesus. We're not called to retreat from the community or, or be a bystander while we watch it do its thing, but rather we're called to be in the world and in the community deeply and meaningfully as we share the gospel with others. As many of you know, we are merging uh, three churches into one church on multiple campuses, right? You have, you have uh, First Lutheran, which is downtown, which is now called the Gathering Lutheran. You have Holy Cross, which I will be uh, sprinting to here in a moment, right, to, to preach over there. And then you have Bethany. And, and I have heard it said, and, and I have to be honest, I've actually participated in it for, for a little bit, in the fact that, well, those churches failed, and, and so now we at Bethany have to kind of help them out. I have to confess, that's absolutely wrong. And here's what I mean. What I've come to realize is that those churches are choosing or being forced to adapt to a changing world in order to proclaim the gospel. And we at Bethany can learn from that. How many of you have ever been to First Lutheran Church, have, were baptized at First Lutheran Church, were the pastor at First Lutheran Church, right? Sorry, Kuzel's here. So, <laughs> and, there's, and the reality of is First Lutheran Church was the largest church. It's called The Gathering now. It was the largest church in this area, right? It was here since 1905. It was proclaiming the gospel mightily, but then the community shifted. And as First Lutheran began to shift and look how, about how do we get in the community, the, the realization is it wasn't coming in the doors like they used to. Now, gospel, gospeling was still happening. The Saturday play days. If I'm throwing some old school back, right? How many of you were ever involved in Saturday play days? 
you know. Uh, uh, it was the time on Saturday where they invited the community onto the campus to, to play, and they shared the gospel with them. And through that, Say Yes happened, which was an after-school program. And, and so what happened over the years is those programs stayed and remained in the community. When I came in 2015, like, I was really focused on how do we get more people in the doors, because that's what I thought was the measure of success because that's how I've been trained and raised. But somewhere along the line, as, as we begin to see God working in the community through what we were doing, whether it be Bible study in the community, whether it be say yes, we began to realize that those were the expressions of church that God has called us to. So the gospel can go out. We saw kids baptized out of the Say Yes program. We, we saw kids baptized out of the community Bible study that never came to church on a Sunday morning. That God's gospel work was happening. It, so much so that it, it became in one meeting, and it wasn't me who said it, it was actually one of the members, said, you know what? We've been so focused on getting people to church, we've, we've lost the fact that those are expressions of our church in the community. So how do we support that? And it got to the point where, yeah, you could say they had to, but I think it was a brave stand to say, you know what? We're willing to sell our campus so that we have the funds to make sure that ministry continues in this place. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what's happening in downtown Long Beach is by no means a failure of the people. But it's a desire to adapt and have the gospel proclaimed for generations to come. And it will. You see, just like the children of Israel, God is saying to us here today, forget what happened in the past and don't dwell on events from long ago. I'm going to do something new. And it's already happening. Don't you recognize it? I guess the question is, are we just going to sit and cry about the past not being the present reality anymore? Or are we going to be pressed into what God is up to? And be amazed at how he works in us and through us. Now, now the good news, and I need to end on this, is that the good news is that either way, you are still loved and valued. Either way, you've still been forgiven through Christ Jesus. God has saved you by his grace. That doesn't change. But how we respond to that grace might need to. Amen? Thank you for listening today. A video archive of our online worship services, including today's message, can be found on our YouTube channel and at www.bethanylutheran.org. Links for both of these are in the show notes. If you would like to support this podcast or the ministry of Bethany Lutheran Church in Long Beach, California, you can text the word GIVE to 562-210-0463. That's GIVE. G-I-V-E to 562-210-0463. We pray that you have a wonderful and blessed week.